0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we have a story from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And I want to emphasize today the request of the woman. Sir, give me this water. We're going to look at exactly what it means to receive the living water from Christ. There's a couple of layers of symbol symbolism and metaphor going on here. We can get really theological and really in depth with meanings and discussions of higher things, but when you it would a little bit it'd be a little bit dishonest to the text, and especially it'd be a little bit, bit dishonest to what it is that Jesus does in this narrative. Jesus is not high minded. He's not theological he doesn't create a an open space in the middle of a forum to debate he doesn't introduce new ideas for us to wrestle and contemplate with instead he has a conversation like any of us with someone that he meets could have been you could have been me could have been anyone But on this particular day, there was a Samaritan woman that intersected with Jesus on her daily routine of going to get water at a well. But let's set the stage first before we do that. Jesus is leaving the area of Judea. That's the area of modern-day Israel and the Holy Land that surrounds the the major capital and religious uh, city of Jerusalem. So he's leaving there to go back north to Galilee, his home country, right, where his disciples are mostly from and where most of his ministry takes place. And so typically, let's see if my, lo- my laser pointer will work, typically they would go from this green area and they would go over to the uh, Jordan River here and they would cross over and avoid the pink area wherever possible and practicable, and then they would come up here to Nazareth or Capernaum, or they would come over here to the Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's the way that good Hebrew people would conduct themselves. Because you see this area, this inconvenient pink area here of Samaria, was it was a pretty country and all, but it was full of Samaritans. And they were dirty and wretched sinners who, who had no regard for God's law or his commands, who would make you uh, impure if you touched them or if you engaged in conversation for a little too long with them. And any time you talk to one of them, you always end up arguing about God's commands and his laws and the practices of where to worship and the way to conduct your life and live. And it just wasn't worth it to go the short route from here up to here, but Jesus says, "You know what, disciples? Today we're going to take the shortcut. This week, as we travel from Judea—why why does my laser pointer stuff working here? There—as we go from Judea up to Galilee, we're going to cut right through the road through Samaria to a town called Sychar. And in Sychar, he arrives there, and he's tired." He's been traveling probably pretty much straight through as he leaves Judea to get to the area of Samaria and the city of Sychar. The scripture says he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and he went through Samaria, so he came to a town called Sychar. Jesus was tired from the journey, and so he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? It's a pretty simple question. Seemingly innocuous statement of a fatigued man who doesn't have the utensils necessary to get a much desired drink out of this well. And he happens to see a woman just coming to do her daily task of drawing water from a well and asks her, Would you mind if I get a sip of that water? I think it's pretty routine, probably not that uncommon to hear from weary travelers on a road asking the locals if maybe they could draw up some water for them so they could slake their thirst from a long journey on the road. However, the challenges of this simple conversation become apparent only through context, only as you understand the cultural and religious and racial and gender divides that exist in this conversation. Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jewish men certainly do not associate with Samaritan women. Jewish holy men certainly do not identify with sinful, adulterous Samaritan women. And yet Jesus says, can you get me a drink of water? Knowing full well who this woman is and what she has done, he asks anyway. And the woman kind of realizes that there are some cultural things at play. And so she realizes that they are natural enemies to each other. Or if not enemies, at least rivals or adversaries. Or There's sort of this sibling rivalry kind of thing, but it wasn't like a friendly sibling rivalry. It was much more like the rivalry between the prodigal son and the faithful son who stayed with the father. They had enmity for each other. They didn't like each other, even though they had so much in common. And so the woman says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the author, John, says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Which would have been like, no duh for anyone who is aware of the context. But John realizes there might be some Gentile believers who will one day read this book and say, huh? Well, what's the big deal? They both worship God. They both live in the same land, they abide by many of the same laws, they have the same ancestry. What's the big deal? Well, John says it's a big deal. And he does so to highlight Jesus's uh, magnanimity, his mercy, his, his ability to set aside the cultural, religious, racial, and gender differences that exist to say, no, I'm going to engage this woman in a conversation. Now, wells, I haven't even talked about the water part yet. Wells are a special place in the tradition of the Scripture. And you know what they're really special for? If you look at the Old Testament, whenever wells are brought up, there's a couple of reasons why it's brought up. The first reason is to water animals. Whenever you get to a new region, a new land, these wandering nomadic people who are shepherds, They need a place to water their livestock or they will die in the sort of desert or arid climb of the near Middle East. So they need a place to water their animals. Number two, it seems for some reason whenever a descendant of Abraham goes to a well, he will inevitably find a wife. Abraham goes and digs wells in the area and then his sons Isaac and his grandson Jacob and and later uh, there's later examples as well they go to wells Moses met his wife Zipporah at a well they go to a well to get a drink of water and they come home with a wife it's kind of one of those weird trends of the Bible and so you see here Jesus is at a well And he's alone, and he meets a woman at the well. And you say, now hold on a second, Pastor. This is Jesus we're talking about. He's not about to go marry some woman, some Samaritan woman. But I think this story is in the Bible for a lot of reasons, but one of the key themes in it is, look at the level of intimacy, you could even say, of this conversation. Jesus, alone, with a woman, a Samaritan woman, an adulterous Samaritan woman? This is scandalous. Is Jesus going to marry an adulterous, sinful, Samaritan woman who has had five husbands and one of them she's living with today, the sixth, is not her husband, but an affair? That's scandalous. And yet, even though Christ is not about to enter into that level of, of, you know, wretchedness, because he is, after all, the pure and spotless Lamb of God, he does enter into that scandal for the sake of showing the love that he has for this woman. Not romantic love, but that agape love, that unconditional love that draws out from a situation Awkward as it is, this ability to simply say, be at peace to a person and care for them. This agape love. So, Jesus is at the well. The Samaritan woman identifies the awkwardness of the situation and says, How can you ask me for water? There's so many things that says you should not do that. But Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that sits before you, who it is that you are asking, or that asks you for water, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus here, obviously, in in hindsight, is saying something rather profound and deep, and you could even go so far as to say, spiritual, theological, and it obviously doesn't really strike the mark. It doesn't reach home for the woman who's listening. She kind of mockingly says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with from the well, and it's very deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Jesus doesn't leave her there. He doesn't acknowledge the sort of mocking cutting remark that she leaves, the sarcasm. Instead, he reveals a profound spiritual truth that not even she realizes that she needs to hear. Jesus says, whoever drinks the water that I give them, or whoever drinks the water from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst again. He's speaking, obviously, here in, in a metaphor. He's saying not that there's some kind of physical water you can drink and have your thirst permanently quenched for the rest of your life, but instead he's saying there is something which is even grander and greater in the kingdom of God than water from a well. There is a living water which quenches your spiritual thirst. And not only that, it's a living water. It's the kind of water that they use in in rituals to purify people when they become unclean. And so you will drink this living water, and it will not just make you clean on the outside, but when you drink it, it will purify your insides as well, and it will do so forever. And so Jesus here is revealing a truth for this woman, but also for us, to see that he is doing something really profound. The woman, realizing there's something strange going on here, kind of says, okay, but sir, if you give me this water, that would be grand because I won't have to be thirsty anymore and I won't have to keep coming to draw water from this well anymore. That would be kind of nice from a physical standpoint After all, it is the heat of the day. It is noon, and she's carrying a a heavy drum full of water that weighs about 40 pounds per drum. She probably had to carry one or two of these all the way out and all the way back to the town every single day. That's the task that many women had during this time, and so most women would do that task in the morning when it was nice and cool out or in the evening when the sun had begun to set so that it would be nice and cool. And they would go all together, all the women of the town at once would go out to the well together to retrieve water. And they would do that as sort of like a bit of a social uh, affair, right? They would be talking on the road about the latest gossip or the, the latest thing going on or the, you know, who's, who's doing what with whom kind of things that I'm not privy to as a male. You guys know some of you, half of you know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. The scuttlebutt, if you will, of walking to the well was a rite of passage for women. They would all go together, get their water, and go back to their homes. This woman doesn't go in the morning, nor does she go in the evening. She goes in the middle of the day all by herself. Indicative of her status in society and the role that she plays, even in this Samaritan village that she is unworthy of the company of the women of the village around her. Whether it be by choice, meaning she didn't want to have to put up with the, the piercing glances of women judging her, or whether it be out of utter neglect or even uh, reprisal from other women in the community, she has chosen or is forced to go to get water in the middle of the day. Jesus is there, happens to be there, or perhaps designs to be there exactly and precisely in the middle of the day when this woman goes every day to get water from the well. And how wonderful it would be for her, she says, to not have to make this walk of shame every day. This walk of shame to the well all by herself to create for herself an indignity of carrying water back to a home which is not really hers, back to a man who is not her husband, who's not her family, walking through the streets of a city that reviles her. How wonderful it would be, she says. She reminisces, perhaps absent-mindedly, to not have to do that anymore. Jesus plays on this a little bit. He's going after her with pinpricks a little bit to try to open up the conversation. And so he gets down to brass tacks and he says, go and call your husband. He's who you're here to get water for, right? Go and call him. She says, I have no husband. Jesus does his Jesus thing and looks right through her, right into her, right into her soul and says, You are right when you say you have no husband. You have had five. And the man that you are now living with is not your husband. So, she reaches this moment where she comes to a realization this man is not just some random man sitting by a well. Not just some looky-loo passerby. Not just some judgmental Jewish man sitting by a well. Instead, there's something about this man that's a little bit different. She comes to the well every day to quench her thirst, but she thirsts for what? For water? She thirsts for just water from a well, or does she thirst for something more? what is it that she thirsts for? What is it that she's needing? What is it that she <clears throat> just can't seem to get her, her arms wrapped around, her mind wrapped around? What is it in her life that she is desiring but does not have that need met? Well, I was looking through a Some artwork, and I noticed for for my presentation, and I noticed this image here. It's a a piece of artwork that was painted by a a gentleman who owns a a, a firm or a a page online called Full of Eyes. And he wrote this, he he made this, this image, and he writes, he has a caption for it, which I think does a pretty powerful job of Of expressing what it is that the woman greatly desires. So I'll read it real quickly. At first, Jesus's response to the woman in verse 16 seems a bit jarring. Why does the change in subject happen so abruptly? Why does he answer her request for living water by telling her to go call her husband? I think the answer comes in verses 17 and 18 where we find that this woman is living with a man who is not her husband and has been married five different times before. How did Jesus' words about her husband answer her request for the living water that quenches thirst unto eternity? They answer by correcting her perception about what thirst truly is. The thirst that the living waters will, not, will satisfy is not the passing thirst of the physical body, but the enduring soul-deep thirst that drives this woman from man to man to man, seeing satisfaction slip through her fingers, seeking and desperately longing for security, a home. It is the thirst of the inmost self, the thirst with which every human being is born, the inconsolable longing that sets us moving, searching, straining forward, for we know not what It is the thirst that tries to satisfy itself through experiences and successes, in the fulfilled dreams of life, in the embrace of loved ones, in the needle's point or an empty cup, in the worthy cause or the right side of history. And yet it is a thirst that none of these will ever slake. Ultimately, for this woman, as for us, The quenching of this thirst is in nothing other than the living water of the Holy Spirit, poured into our hearts from the open heart of God in Christ, the Holy Spirit who ever, always, and only shows us Jesus. God, known and loved in Christ through the Spirit, is the water that quenches our soul's thirst. So in this image, the woman stands before a cracked well, and holds in her hands an empty water jar that can never satisfy her deep thirst. The six hands pouring out sand into her hollow heart represent the six men that she has looked to for this satisfaction. In the background, however, is the true fountain and source of living water, opened in the heart of God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The placement of Christ in the center of her empty heart foreshadows her future reception of this living water by faith, a reception enabled by the Spirit who removes the veil over her eyes and grants her true sight. What is it that she is longing for? Something more. Something far greater than anything in this life can satisfy. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Her eyes are open to see Jesus for something more than just a man by a well. And she acknowledges and and readily admits with her mouth that there is something about this man that is different. Jesus, using this open door, steps in to reveal the truth which saves the entirety of humanity. That he is the Messiah. For the very first time in his ministry, he steps forward and clearly confesses that he is the Son of God. The same confession which would be the, the impetus for his future death, the, the call of being divine which leads to his crucifixion, he for the very first time confesses not to a court full of Pharisees, not to even his disciples, but to a Samaritan adulteress at the well in the town of Sychar in dirty, rotten Samaria. Jesus says, A time is coming and is now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. I have here an image of our church when we were more or less shut down due to COVID. We had pictures of the people of God on the pews. And I love this image because it showcases that we don't worship on the Temple Mount, we don't worship on the mountain of Gerizim, we don't worship in a brick building. We worship as the people of God. And we worship in the spirit and in truth. Together as a community of believers. Jesus delivers us so much more than what this world can ever give us. And this is the very first reveal, the very first time. He says, I know, the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. And I think she says this with a bit of a glint in her eye. Supposing that this might be the one who stands before her. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus, sort of with a wink, says, the one standing before you, I am. He uses that word, I am. The name of the living God, Yahweh, I am, he says. I am he. This truth was proclaimed at the well. It's the truth which saves humanity revealed to a woman who was seeking more than what her life was giving her. And Jesus arrived to deliver it with an infinite overflowing of that living water for her. And because it's written in John's text today, that same revelation is made for you and for me. We can seek to be satisfied in that thirst that is within us, but we will never find it in this world. We will only find it through the true and living water, which the Messiah himself reveals to us. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day and for your mercies to us, which are new each and every day. God, we pray that you will help us to not seek to find a quenching of our thirst in this world, but rather to see it in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.